We are continuing our study on the Lord's Prayer, how to pray. We've been taking apart bit by bit all the different elements, and uh, then we'll put it all together when we all get done. But uh, we are still on uh, Matthew the 6th chapter, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now the last time we were together, we talked about this whole idea of praying God's kingdom in our lives right here on earth just like God intends for things to be in heaven. What's important about that, we read from John, uh, 1 John, the 5th chapter, where it says, uh, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And He goes on to explain that if God hears us when we pray, if we know He hears us, we know we have the answer. So the implication is this, that if you will pray according to the will of God, you can pretty much take it to the bank, you're going to get your answer to prayer. Now sadly, millions of believers today have really no idea what the will of God is. What is it like in heaven? What is God's intention? What did God always want and desire for you? And for me, I promise you, as you look out at the world today, this is not what God intended. You know, people say, well, if there's a God, why is everything such a mess? Because nobody listens to God. All right? Because we are in a state of rebellion against God. Mankind is a fallen race. And it's hard for us to quit trusting in ourselves and to put our trust in Him. But I can assure you, this world of violence and anger and everybody around that, that sinful nature, you know, our, we've got two uh, two-year-old grandsons and uh, just darling little rascals. And, uh, and we just love them dearly and, and they're, they're such a joy. I'm telling you, grandparenthood is where it's at. It is. It's, it's God's reward for not killing your children. And uh, it, it is such a joy. It is such a rush. You have no idea. And as wonderful and delightful as those little creatures are, as they're hitting two, we are suddenly discovering Adam. What Adam? You know, Adam in the Garden of Eden, that, that rebellion, that sinful nature. Those sweet little chubby cheeks have discovered words like mine, 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 no, 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 mine, mine, and they're just like, God bless you, you little blessing. You know, you want to get on it, but uh, <laughs> but where does that come from? They don't learn. I'm telling you, that is the in the heart of men and women because of sin, and and this is the mess we're in. So. Um, to really understand how to pray and how to really expect God, how God wants things to be, we have to start getting our eyes off of what our experience has taught us. In other words, not to allow our history to define who we are, not to allow our experience to define who we are, which is very easy to do. Most of us, you know, people say, well, we're all um, basically the sum of our experiences. And that's very much true. In the natural, we all are the sum of our experiences. But I have chosen not to let my experiences define who I am. Okay? Certainly, I don't want my failures to define who I am. And I can assure you, my failures greatly outnumber my successes, which is just really sad, but it's just true. But I refuse, that is not me. 
You say, well, who are you, Pastor? I'm who God says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the person that he looks at and he dances and delights over and loves and gave himself for me. Why he would do that is completely beyond my comprehension. It truly is. People say, well, why does God love us? You know, I have no idea. If I were God, I'd have squished his a long time ago and just moved on you know what I'm saying look problems no more problems let's go you know so you can be very glad I'm not God but this is the God who loves me and he sees the best in me he looks at me and he sees what I'm capable of man so I need to start thinking more like God so I can begin to see how he sees me It changes how I view myself. My value is now not based on what I have done or what I have not done. But my value is based on what he has paid for me. Correct? You've heard this analogy that things are worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. You really want to see what something is worth? You know, go on eBay. You know, and then you see what people are really willing to pay for something is what, in fact, it really is worth. We can say, you know, this this here pulpit's worth three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, unless one of you's dumb enough to pay that much for it, then it is okay to somebody. It's worth that. If you're willing to pay three hundred grand, I'll sell it right now, by the way. But it, <laughs> what someone's willing to pay for something truly shows its value. Now stop and think of this. God paid Jesus for you. He said, well that makes no sense. I'm not worth Jesus to God. Apparently, you are. Apparently, you are worth that much sacrifice, that much cost, that much value. Therefore, my value is not based on how cute I am. Thanks be to God. My value is not based on what a perfect husband I am. Thank you, Jesus. My value is not based on how good I am or how horrible or what a slob I am. Pastor, you're not a slob. (laughs) You don't know me. But uh, my value is based on what God says I am. You see, it changes everything. It changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view your kids. How you view your potential in life. You say, well, I've always been poor. I'll always be nothing. I'm always a, a failure. If you let that define you, that's where you'll stay. If you start to understand what God has in store for you, what God desires for you, when you start to really believe that God truly wants the best for you, not make you all multi-millionaires, that's what I'm talking about, but the best for you, what God intends for your life, success in your life. I got to tell you, God is not glorified when we struggle and life stinks. When we walk around like Eeyore. Oh, bother. Everything. <laughs> These guys that walk around the cartoon characters with a cloud over them. Wherever they go, there's this cloud. This is not God's plan for you. Okay? Now, when you get a revelation of what it means on earth as it is in heaven, you will start to fight to experience on earth what is in, in heaven. 
If you don't know what it is, then you've got nothing to fight for. You will no longer accept average or defeat as normal in your life when you understand what God truly intends for you. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And listen, if you struggle with this, if you don't quite get it, you say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time with it. I really don't see it. My life is so lousy. I just, I just can't see anything better. You need to pray, God, open my eyes. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so I can begin to comprehend what you have for me. So I can start getting a vision of a positive future. When you start really start to understand that you will take control of your life through prayer. You see, in prayer, you actually direct the hand of God in your life. I've taught on this before. People say, you know, well, why don't I pray? The reason people don't feel more, more motivated to praise, they don't get it. You can change your circumstances. You can direct God's hand in your life if you'll pray according to his will. You can start to see things actually turn around in your life. You say, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> That's why your life stinks. Because you don't believe it. You're not experiencing it. When you really get that thing, man, I... Here's the other thing. You have to understand that God's hand will pretty much stay silent towards you if you don't direct his hand. So that's what people don't understand. People really think that God is so sovereign. And he is sovereign. But they think everything is just it's going to happen. Whatever God wants is just going to happen. You know, they say, well, what are you doing with your life? I don't know whatever God wants. What, what, how, how, how are you going to serve God? I don't know whatever God wants me to do. They have a Doris Day religion. Y'all remember Doris Day? Some of you geezers like me. You remember the song that put her over the top? When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said. To me, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, sad you know this, the future's not ours to see, que sera, sera, that's it, see, <laughs> what will be, will be, what are you going to do with your life, I don't know, que sera, sera, don't have a Doris Day religion. <laughs> Wish whatever happens will happen. What's your life like? It stinks. Must be the will of God. No, it's not the will of God. You can take charge of that by understanding you can pray, God, your will, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now last week, I... Uh, talk to you, or last week, was it last week? It's all a blur now. <laughs> last time I talked to you, uh, I mentioned several areas yeah, in life today where the bar has been so lower that people's expectations in life are lowered. And I, I talked specifically about different kinds of sin that uh, this bar, bar has been so lowered in people's life that everyone thinks it's just normal and they don't think anything 
much of it. And I, and I mentioned various types of sin. One that I had mentioned, uh, along with others, was, was the whole thing of homosexuality. And someone emailed me this uh, last week and, uh, you know, chewed me out a little bit because they accused me of, of gay bashing. I wasn't bashing anybody. I don't think, you know, I don't bash. But uh, anyway... Um, uh, and said, but you know, made the argument that you know, listen, psych- psychologists and doctors today say that it's normal and people are born this way and all this other kind. Of, and 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 they were kind of confused about how anyone could take a stand on, on this particular subject. I want you to know something. What we teach as sin or or not sin is is really not decided by a committee. It, it's really not. And, and it's not bashing him. And I mentioned all kinds of other sinners. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, sex before marriage, adultery, all these different things that people today, uh, the bar has been so lowered that people really don't consider them as sin or, or consider them as some kind of outdated, you know, thing. You know, I, I challenged someone recently about having sex outside of marriage. And they treated it like it didn't seem like a big deal. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And, and they said, well, I guess technically it's a sin. And then moved on. That, no, you know, technically. It's a sin. It's a sin. Now you have to understand something. Not, not only do, there's all sorts of areas, not just in, in uh, you know, g- g- the gay lifestyle or, or whatever. There's all kinds of evidence out there that our culture tries to show us that proves that sin is normal. That, that we shouldn't think anything of it. That adultery, I've seen whole hour long, two hour long specials on how adultery is normal. That it's evolution's way of wanting to pro <laughs> to to procreate or some moronic stupidity. I can't remember what it was about. It ain't evolution. It's just sin is what it is. Okay? And and it's and it's not again beating up on anybody. And it's and it's not a matter of uh, running it by people to see what they think about it. What we teach as sin, a, a true Bible believing church, is based on what God says is sin. That's all. If Everybody in the universe agrees that adultery is okay. That it's normal. That an adulterer is an adulterer because God made him that way. And there's not much he can do about it. It's evolution trying to procreate or what. If everyone in the universe agrees that it's okay. It's still not okay. The other said, God really doesn't care what the experts think. He doesn't. He doesn't care what you think. And, and really, this is a real revelation. It dawned on me one day, you know, God doesn't really care what I think. You know, God, you know, he say, I really want to take on stand on this. Check with Mark. What does he feel about this? You know, it's, it's, it's of no relevance. God says what he says and, 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 and tells us to turn away for, from things for one reason, one reason only. It's offensive to him. Now you might feel you don't have a choice. 
Most people who engage in all kinds of wrong behavior feel they don't have a choice. You know, say, well, I didn't want it to happen. It just kind of happened. And la, 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 la. I'm just this way and I don't have any ch-. No, no, we have choice about everything. That's what makes us different than a chicken. <laughs> Chickens, not a lot of choice there. You know. That's, that's, you know, chickens, dogs, cats, creatures, creepy crawly bugs, all that. Not a lot of choice going there. A little bit, but not a lot. We're not like that. We are made in the image of God. We choose to do what we do based on whether or not it's offensive or, or on the other hand, pleasing to him. I mean, even the very act of worship. We don't all get together and just raise our hands and sing because that comes normally. You know, people are walking down the street going, la, 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 you know, just, that doesn't occur to people. We do that, why? Because it's pleasing to God. The Bible says, lift your hands to God. Sing songs to him. Lift up your voice in a joyful noise if that's all you can get out. That's why we do that. There's things we do because they're pleasing to God. There's things that we don't do because they're offensive to God. And sometimes we miss this because a lot of times we try to reason with people why they shouldn't do certain types of things. For example, we try to reason with young people why they shouldn't be sexually active. Boy, if there's ever a time on the planet... For people not to have sex outside of marriage. It's today. You would think. Man there's enough bugs going out there. Some of them will kill you. Or just make you miserable forever. It's just not worth it. You would think this would be deterred. But it's not. Do you really. And this is again. Boy I'll get the emails now I'm sure. <laughs> and anyone watching on TV. Just freak, freak them out. But I'm, I'm just. I'm being honest with you. We are spending billions of dollars. Think about it. Billions of dollars. Money that could be used to improve so many people's lives. You have no idea. But billions and billions and billions of wealth. Trying to find cures for diseases. That would not exist if people would just keep their pants on. Do I feel bad? Sure, and I hope they find cures for all this stuff. I'm not a matter of hating anybody or anything, but you just got to wonder, what is the matter with us? Engaging in such risky, insane behavior and just can't stop because people are so caught up in lust and, and all that stuff. <laughs> Chasing all this stuff that turns around and destroys. And, and, and we tell young people, don't do it because of this or don't do it because this could happen. And, and statistically, you know, couples who live together before they married have a much higher divorce rate than people who do not. You can start reasoning and we try to reason with people why they shouldn't engage in certain behaviors and stuff like that. But then they'll start talking back and say, well, you know, uh, yeah, but that didn't happen to us and, and we lived together. It was no big deal and, and, and I did this and uh, yeah, I had a couple of affairs but we got through it. It's no big deal. And uh, You know, they got all this you need to understand something. The reason we teach something is right or wrong is not because it helps or hurts you. Are you hearing me? There is an element of helping and hurt you. But I want you to know, if you never were bothered by doing something wrong, in fact, if your life was greatly enhanced as a result of doing something wrong, it's still wrong. This isn't about you. This is about people of faith not wanting to offend a holy God. Now, of course, it's so obvious. These things do hurt us. 
And people say, well, God doesn't want us to do it because it, it hurts us. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm telling you, I really think it's just because it's offensive to him. The fact that it also hurts you should be a slam dunk. But if it doesn't hurt you, that has nothing, it has nothing to do with whether it benefits you or not. doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. doesn't matter if all the psychiatrists in the world say it's okay. doesn't matter if every person on, in the planet thinks it's perfectly fine. If God says no, it's not right, it's not right. That's the only reason. Okay? Now, if you disagree with that, then you can tell God that. When, I'm not being mean, I'm just saying, if you can tell him that when you get to heaven. Explain to him why the psychologist thought it was okay, but God thought it was wrong, and, and, and why it didn't bother you, and it was okay for you. And I, You can have all, I only ask one thing. Let me be in the room when you tell him. I, I promise I won't talk. I, I just, I just, I want to be there when you explain to God that he was wrong about his stand on things. That's all. Okay? That's... All kinds of things, you know, not just sexual sins, you know. You know, you hear me talk a lot about marriage and divorce. Divorce is a, a, a thing that is destroying people's lives, destroying families. Um, it, it's it really impacting negatively the church. I got a call today. Interestingly enough, this is this is kind of cool, from a uh, a coalition of churches. They're looking for like twelve churches in America to get together and put together a plan for trying to uh, keep our children. Uh, surveys are showing now that. Three quarters of children born, raised in evangelical churches like this leave the church when they leave, when they grow up. Three quarters. That is really sad. Got all kinds of theories on that uh, that uh, I certainly have in my brain. But it was real interesting. So I get the call from this guy today, and uh, there's like these twelve significant churches in America that are getting together on on this issue and see if we can't come up with some kind of plan. We're talking, one of them is a Lakewood church, Joel Osteen. It's the largest church in America. Um, another one is Saddleback Church, a little tiny church of 30,000 or whatever they are in California. Willow Creek, you guys have heard of them, you know, etc. And they're getting these 12 churches. They want ours to be one of that 12. Isn't that cool? Bayside, baby. I'm telling you, we want to make an impact on people's lives. And God is opening up doors where we can start having more and more influence in the world. So I'm excited about this. But a lot of what we're doing today, the things that we aren't thinking through is what's making it so difficult for our kids to really stay in faith. You know, when we say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. Mom and Dad loves Jesus. We can't stand each other. Well, well, of course these kids aren't going to come back. You gotta understand something. How you live is much more of an impact on these people than what you say on our young people. If you can't live it, it doesn't mean jack to them. Even though you're teaching them the truth, but if you live a lie, it's not gonna help anybody. And it's certainly not gonna help these children. We have got to live this stuff. When you get a revelation of on earth as it is in heaven, you'll start to fight to experience God in your life. You'll no longer accept defeat as normal 
There's this great little scripture in uh, Matthew, the 11th chapter, 12th verse. You don't hear this verse read very often, but Jesus is talking. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. Forcefully advancing. King James says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, I need to be very clear about this, you know, especially in today's world where you have so many religious extremists who literally try to kill people and use violence. When the church talks about, you know, warfare and stuff like that, we're not really talking about shooting people. You know, I read stuff all the time in the in the, in the media, and, and you know, the secular world—they they just don't get it. You know, they, I was reading this one thing about this person who had done this documentary about a Bible camp, and and uh, in this Bible camp, it showed children marching around saying, "We are soldiers of the Lord. We are marching in God's army." You know, and they thought, "Oh my God, they're they're raising up the next bunch of Al Qaeda's." These are Christian Bible camp, you know, and it's like these people are so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. <laughs> We are not talking about killing people. We're talking about spiritual warfare. The violence, the intensity, this this forceful grabbing that Jesus is talking about is spiritual warfare, not shooting people. Good night. Kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Forceful men lay hold. When you get it, when it dawns on you, you go, you start fighting, spiritually speaking. You start fighting for not an average life. You start fighting for an above average life. Not just for a natural life, but a supernatural life. And you start working for it. And you start praying for it. And you start, you know, not just accepting defeat and average and failure, but trusting God to breathe His life into your life. Looking at me like I dropped in from Mars. Speaking of which, I was watching this movie, War of the Worlds. You see this movie? You know, these, these Martians come down. It's, it's not a true story. But uh, these... <laughs> in case anyone was worrying, it's just a movie. These Martians come down. And they just start blowing everything to smithereens. Boom. Just, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Now, I got to tell you, when I saw that, I thought, that is so cool. That spiritually speaking, that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to just spiritually just, just, just blowing away hate and blowing away sickness and blowing away all this defeatism and just bringing life every place. Those Martians were trying to turn Earth into, into Mars. Do you remember that? They, they were sick. It's kind of gross. But <laughs> they were sucking everybody's blood out of them and, and putting in these things that were growing and it was turning the ground all red so it turned like the red planet. It's all very twisted and bizarre. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying we should suck people's blood out or anything. But the point being is that we should be invading a sin-sick, destroyed world with the love of God and spreading the landscape with the blood of Jesus so things start looking more like heaven than they do now. Now in the movie, they, they all got a cold and died and it's kind of what you wanted because they were evil guys, but uh, kind of a bad analogy, I suppose. I still thought it was cool. You know, we should be taking over the world with love and with kindness and, and, and grace being spread everywhere. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is heaven like? There's this great little book. If you get a chance to read this sometime, I don't think, I don't know if we have it in the bookstore or not, but it's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Found it. Anybody read this book? 
It's, it's a very cool book. It's a true story about a guy who, uh, who died. I mean, he was in this horrible accident. They got pictures of this accident and everything else like that. And, and everybody, I mean, he was just Swiss cheese. I mean, it was just horrible. And uh, they had all pronounced him dead and, uh, and had pronounced him dead in, for a good, you know, 90 minutes, hour and a half. And uh, this, this Baptist pastor insisted that he get a chance to pray for this guy. Well, he'd been dead for an hour and a half. You know, it's kind of like, he's dead, move on. All right, and uh, but I know I'm going to pray, and and he and, and in the book it says he literally said, was going to lay himself down in front of the, in the, in the, of the ambulance if you don't let me pray for this guy. And of course they finally said, well, if he wants to pray that bad, let him pray for the guy, you know. So and and he said it was so bizarre. He just had it in his heart. He had to pray for this guy. He had to pray for this guy. So he goes in and he lays hands on him. He could barely get in there, and, puts, and he just starts praying. And he starts praying, and he and he starts. I think he starts singing the, the chorus. What a friend we have in Jesus! And somewhere along the line, the guy starts singing along with him. And he goes, ah! So so he runs and he tells them he's alive. Of course, they think the guy is crazy, right? And he is screaming and I will not move until you go and check. And finally, they go and check, and the guy is breathing. And of course they bring the jaws of life and they bring him out and everything. And the guy who this happened to is writing the book. How, you know, and actually most of it is how much pain he's been in ever since. He, you know, it was kind of a drag reading it actually. But the first part was cool. <laughs> it was. I mean, you know, he hurts and everything's awful and, and you know, and he's struggling God through. I mean, it's, it's still encouraging that in the middle of suffering he went on. But, but the neatest thing is he describes what happened during that 90 minute span where he said he all of a sudden was in heaven. And he starts describing what it was like. It is such a cool book to read this guy. And then how all of a sudden he was gone and he wakes up in this horrifying pain. You know, that was the bummer part. But uh, he's, he's got this little thing when, when he's talking about it in heaven. He says, everything I experienced was like a first class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and Texture defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiant life engulfed me. As I looked around, I could hardly hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I had ever seen. With all of the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. I don't recall that I ever tasted anything, but I knew if I had, that too would have been more glorious than anything I'd ever eaten or drunk on earth. The best way I can explain it is to say, I felt as if I were in another dimension. Never, even in the happiest moments, had I ever felt so fully alive. And he goes on in in vivid detail and starts describing. You know, he says, how do you describe it? You know, it's like being that and then coming back here and trying to, you know, explain, you know, advanced calculus to a chicken. You know, how do you do this? But he, he talks about the sounds and the music and the light. And, the, and he was all just on the outsides of, of the gates. He didn't really enter in because he wasn't there all that long. And, and, and all of a sudden, boom, he's back. And, and uh, anyway, like I said, kind of sad. What's kind of a drag is that... Uh, um, 
he, he had, and I think we can all understand this. After experiencing anything like that, how do you feel happy here? I guess that was, it was kind of a bittersweet story. And I, and I can relate. I mean, if you truly experience heaven, how can you be content here? And I think, oh man, isn't that what should be happening to us? Isn't that what, that we should be so tasting heaven that this loses its shininess to us. It loses its allure to us. That at some point in life you, it just doesn't matter anymore. Where, where, where you're like Paul who longed to be with Jesus. I mean, kind of bizarre, you know. Here's this guy, and he, you know, he knew that he was going to be dying soon. They were going to kill him, and uh, uh, he said, "You know, I, I can't make up my mind." He says, "Part of me, you know, you know, wants to stay here because I'm, I'll miss you guys." But the other man, like the other part of me, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. How many of us even begin to think in those terms? Most of us, the idea of dying just freaks the willies out of us. Oh man, I just, I just bought a 60-inch high-definition TV. I can't die yet. You know, I got, I got this, I got that, I got these things, everything. And it's because we get so caught up here. We need to lift up our eyes, get a vision of heaven. Start, so that heaven becomes more real to us than earth. How do you get there? You're not going to get there in 20 minutes listening to me. But I'm just challenging you. Jesus said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those are the ones who would be filled. Get hungry for this. Get thirsty for this. Get a desire for God. So that even this, just it's not so shiny anymore. That we walk more with a sense of, I'm really not from here. Yeah. Anybody travel like in really poor countries and anybody like, you know, I, I remember when the Soviet Union and stuff like that was still around and um, uh, Deb and I were with a group, we smuggled Bibles behind the Iron Curtain and stuff and, uh, you know, it was so weird, you'd walk into these poverty stricken dark countries and it was just, you, you could feel it, you could just feel it, but as you walk through all this, you always have this sense of, you know, I don't really belong here. If you travel in real poor parts of the country, even of the world, even if they're beautiful places, you still have the sense always, you know, I, I really don't quite fit here. I don't speak the language very well and things are kind of foreign and the traditions are... I mean, to so begin to experience God in our daily life that we really start to feel kind of like foreigners. That's what the Bible says we are. People of faith, we're foreigners in this world. We don't quite fit... With, you know, when the world says, these people are something wrong with them. That's because we don't fit. We don't really fit. Our desire is, God, we want to experience heaven. And while we're here, we pray, God, your will would be done here like it is in heaven. But even then, it's just a down payment. It's just a slice. It's just a piece. Ultimately, the goal is to get out of here. <laughs> the good news is someday we'll all get out of here. The bad news is you got to die to do it. All right? But man, I tell you, what, what, a have, what an attitude to have in your heart where you think, wow. Who cares to have such a desire to be with Jesus? You see, ultimately, the absence of pain is not heaven. The absence of sickness, nor the abundance of wealth, nor the overwhelming sense of joy and peace, you know, that we read in this book. That's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is this, God. 
We'll end with this verse. John, the 17th chapter, verse 3, says this. He says, now, Jesus says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. I'm going to tell you what eternal life is. And right away we think, oh, you mean living forever and floating around in clouds and having wings and playing harps like angels and, and doing all this cool zapping. No, 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 no. This is eternal life. He's, he's praying to God. He says, this is eternal life. That they might know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's knowing him. You know, it's wild when you read the book of Revelations and, and, and they, you open it up and it talks about heaven. And, and you know where everybody's hanging out? Anybody know? The throne. They're all hanging around God. This is heaven. You can do anything. You can be anything. You probably can fly like a bug. You can zoom around. You can do all kinds of stuff. And everything, you know, just and the coolest place to be in heaven is around God. We can do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boring. Only around God. You can fly. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Let's get us hang around God. You can zoom through the galaxies and stack, check out all the stars. God's here. And they're all hanging around. And they're singing. And they're boogieing. And they're jamming. And they're going, woo hallelujah, praise God. And, just, and their voices would just roll like just thunders, the Bible said. As they stood before the throne of God, worshiping, celebrating, hallelujah. Eternal life ultimately is not about things at all. It's about knowing him. This is the ultimate thing. You truly want to experience God in your life? It's not even about your circumstances. It's not about stuff. It's not about things going your way. Although this can happen. True eternal life is knowing him. Having this personal relationship with him. That they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou was sent. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we close in the service tonight. Let me ask you a question. If you're here tonight and maybe it's the first time you're here. Or maybe you've been coming for years and you've never truly surrendered your heart to Jesus. You want eternal life? Eternal life is knowing Jesus. You want eternal life? It's not about living forever. It's not about all these things. It's not about all the wonderful peace and all the great things we read in this little book here. It's about knowing God. Do you know him? I'd like us to pray this prayer all together. And if you'll believe this prayer and mean this from your heart. Jesus can come in your heart. Give you a new start. And you can begin to get to know this wonderful God we're talking about. Let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I surrender you to you this evening. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life like it is in heaven. I truly choose to Jesus Christ as my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to truly know you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you pray that prayer tonight and you really meant that, it's the first time you ever prayed a prayer like that. I got a book I'd love to give you. It's called Getting Started in Your New Life with Jesus. It's a book written by my brother Ed, who's also in ministry. Anyway, I'd love to give you a copy of the book. If you stop by the guest services, just stop by and say, I'd like a copy of that free book. We'll be more than happy to give it to you. And, uh, and you can start to read it and it'll begin to help you start to experience more of heaven on earth. Uh, earth by an, an, in and of itself, nice place, but I want heaven. This is what it's all about. Pastor Lathan.